All right, welcome to Peeps Creek, the cafe where we serve you delightful, slightly intense, but definitely worthwhile conversations. A podcast focused on bringing people together by drinking, listening, and conversing. So grab your favorite drink and let's see what's on today's menu. All right, people, welcome to Peeps Creek, the cafe. You know, here at the cafe, we always have a conversation centered around a drink. And today I am switching it up once again. Wow, I'm making y'all think this time. I'm pretty sure you probably think I have my bourbon in my cup, but I am not. I am drinking on some orange jasmine tea with a slight bit of natural honey. Nice. Are we sick or something? Or no, I just didn't feel like drinking today. And of course, I have my trusty H two O. All right. I never say this, but you should know by now. My name is Sean. I am the host of Peeps Creek the Cafe. <laughs> and today, I am joined in the cafe by Denise. Say hello, Denise. Hello. He's joined by his co-host. He just doesn't admit it, but his co-host Denise. Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, Denise, what are you drinking on over there? I am drinking on some raspberry lemonade. Right here. Right here. Did, raspberry lemonade that you made, or is this like the dollar store version? Not the dollar store version, but no, I didn't make it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anything special in it? No. Any fruit cut up in it? lemonade all right so we are going to try something different i'm going to put up here for those of you who listen to the podcast or look at the podcast you know that it costs money (laughs) to keep all of these things up and running so if you want to be so unkind i am going to place a qr code on a video right here that you can use your smartphone while you're watching and snap it and send us a little you know buy us a coffee do a little something something for a brother and a sister over here i was gonna say (laughs) (laughs) if you'd be so kind all right so we'll put that back up as well all right so we are going to also do something a little different with a particular episode we are going to do a case revisit this is episode 74 a case revisited colin quint abusive father case all right so you know that this case has come up in several of our conversations has it (laughs) On numerous other cases that we have discussed, because I think this was one of those cases where we disagree the most. I mean, I think we argued a lot on that episode. Mm -hmm. And that episode is episode 67. For those who haven't heard it and you want to go and listen to it, we're going to play some few clips from it today just so that can get us up to speed on some of the background for those who did not listen to the actual episode. But we are going to discuss actually a case update because there's been quite a bit of traction in this particular case. All right. So Denise, <clears throat> let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? What, what, what excited you the most about this particular case when we talked about it? I wouldn't necessarily say that it excited me. It's just that I saw the facts that were presented in a different way from what you saw it. And you are so confrontational that I feel like I need to make my point across. And so it may seem like I get a little bit excited about it, but I wouldn't necessarily say anything in particular excited me. I just 
based on what was presented on the episode of what is it accused guilty or innocent mm -hmm. i felt that it could have gone the way the defense was trying to present it okay so and having before we talk about some of the updates having had the opportunity to see and listen to some of the updates relating to the case what is your opinion still the same? It is. I'm sorry? It is. <laughs> I, <laughs> Ooh, okay. It is. All right. I mean, we can jump right in if you want to, because I'm ready for you. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's go to presentation of what was discussed on this particular case. Are you shocked? Because it's... it's Seems like you're a little shocked right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little taken aback, but you know, it's part of the process, so we'll get there. All right, so let's go, and we're going to do just some initial little background facts really quickly. All right, so this episode opens with a 911 call from a father. Now, when you hear the voice of the father, my opinion is immediately, before I, before we got further into the episode, you're trying to figure out why he may talk this way but the father just sounded like he was disinterested he sounded like he didn't have any kind of sense of urgency with respect to the kid but apparently his nine-month-old baby he called in and said that he was looks like he was having a seizure it appeared as if he was just staring out and just not able to focus on anything just looking at the light he looked disinterested and confused and so ultimately the ambulance came, 911 came, and they took the child to the the doctor. Now, when we get from that particular scene, we then immediately go and we meet the attorneys. All right, so I'm going to stop there. And then there are additional facts that I want to bring to your attention here. Okay. So on August the 2nd, Connor is at home. I'm sorry, Colin is at home with Connor. And he starts noticing that something is not right. So something something was wrong with Connor. So Colin calls wife, Lindsay. They take the baby to the hospital. The hospital evaluates the baby. They sent the baby home. They do a chest MRI. But they sent the baby home. And now the baby is having seizures. Ends up in ICU. And the mm -hmm. doctors find a subdural hematoma which is brain bleed. Mm -hmm. And because of this, there was pressure on the back of his eyes, which led to retinal hemorrhage. And mm -hmm. they found an increased swelling to his brain. Okay. And so what was the doctor's diagnosis as a result of that? So the shaken baby syndrome slash abusive head trauma. Okay. And then here all right go ahead so on august 1st connor i'm sorry oh i get these names because they start with, with the c colin was at home with connor and that's when he first noticed that connor was just his eyes were just fixated so he felt something was wrong that's when he calls lindsay at work and waits for her to get home they both take the baby to the hospital that's where the baby gets examined for his chest they figure there's nothing wrong with the baby, so they send the baby back home. The next day, which is August 2nd, Colin is still home with the baby while Lindsay is at work. 
And when Lindsay gets back from work, Colin and Lindsay's mother were outside. They were downstairs where Lindsay is upstairs with the baby. And so Lindsay starts seeing that something is wrong with the baby and she calls Colin to come upstairs. And so they end up taking the baby again to the hospital. And that's when the doctors say it's the shaken baby syndrome. Now, and part of the, the, the problem with part of the problem here is that from the doctor's perspective is that mm -hmm. they asked the parents, what happened? What do you know? And the parents said they did not know. They don't know what happened. And because there was this obvious damage to the, to the child's brain and also the, the retinas, right? The, because they had no explanation from it, for it, it appeared, at least it gave the presumption that they were trying to hide something, they being the parents. And so the conclusion was, is that the injuries were, were a result of shaking baby syndrome. All right. Okay. So <clears throat> that kind of gives you the backdrop of the actual case. All right. So now that we have that out the way, Denise, anything you wanted to add in regards to the background facts? <laughs> So one thing we don't mention in the clips that you that you have shown is that some of the injuries that the baby has, based on some of the injuries that the baby has, or some of the CT scans, MRIs, and stuff that have been done to the baby, they notice blood, blood accumulated on, I can't remember if it's on the border of his head, that varies in color. It varies from white to gray to black. So they do mention that the, the difference in color could signify that that blood has been in that border of his head for a long time. And so what the defense is trying to say is that the in, some of the injuries could have been caused due to when mom, Lindsay, was giving birth. So you didn't mention that in the clips that you showed. Oh, yeah. So that goes to the whole argument with respect to the birth trauma issue, right? Because okay. that's my stance. My stance is that based on you what was presented doctor, to me, I know I'm ahead. not, I'm not. <laughs> but based on what was presented, I told you, I look at these cases like if I was the juror, right? And, mm -hmm. what, and what the defense is presenting to me is that there is a possibility that these injuries could have been not these injuries because not all of the injuries could have been a cause of the vaginal birth or the birth trauma but there could have been some injury to the baby when the baby was born that could have caused it to keep developing into what it has developed to that point that the case started mm -hmm. so okay and and so you know, for those of you who knew the, or who listened to that particular episode, you know, I wasn't convinced at all, period, that that in fact, the child's trauma that the child had experienced was a result of any kind of birth canal issue or what have you as he was when he was birthed. And particularly given the fact of, you know, some of the actions from the father just didn't lay right with me. Go ahead. What about the father? I just, what about the father has caused you to, to see that there could be a possibility of him hitting the baby, causing these injuries to the baby? Okay, so I, here's what I'm, I'm, I'm saying is that 
I find it very unlikely, okay, that the birth trauma that you you fought so diligently on that particular episode for that these random doctors <laughs> provided as a defense. I find it very shocking that it would take 10 to 11 months for any of these issues to show up on this baby, right? The 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 pretend the the seizures, the shaking, the disinterested look, I find it very unlikely that issue will pop up 10 months later while the baby is watching TV. And so that stems from some birth trauma that he received from his mama when he was coming out. I don't I don't buy it. There was there's no evidence and there was no presentation of evidence from the parents to indicate that there was any issue but for the fact on August the 1st. And so August the 1st when 2000 I think it was 2018 whatever when that occurred when he was in the presence of the father only, right? The it, it, I find it just shocking to that you would, first of all, even think that that is a viable reasoning, but, but, and also why you were so strong about it. I just, it didn't fit with me. It's, it's and, BS. you know, the crazy thing is that even with everything that we will be discussing today, I, I'm not going to necessarily say that I believe it's the birth trauma, but I will say that prosecution has not brought forth enough evidence for me to say, this could have potentially been shaken baby syndrome. Whereas also I feel that the defense also fixated themselves on that birth trauma thing and still could have bought a little bit more, but I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that they have, they mentioned the fact that the baby when he was born did have some head, um, something with his head and he was at a certain percentile because of, of how long she had been in labor and because of what happened to her while she was in labor. So when baby was born, there was a certain percentile that he was in because of the head. And then as the months passed on, that percentile grew. So he was above the percentile for his age. I still, prosecution didn't go into his birth records. They didn't go into his child walls visits to bring that forth to even look at look at what the defense was trying to say to even see if that could have been a possibility okay but given the injuries of the baby <laughs> i i don't care whether you call it shaking baby syndrome or something else it's obvious to me by the injuries that this was not coincidental or accidental or the result of some freak accident while he was been birthed. I mean, come on now. He can't talk. He or at least according to the episode, he couldn't talk. He barely could walk. He barely can communicate. He had all these injuries to his body, physical injuries to his body. And I just this this birth canal BS was just a way for them to try to I move away from the fact that obviously someone in that household did something to that baby, right? But let's talk a little bit about it. So there was an appeal. So the prosecution appealed the sentence that the judge gave to this particular individual, Colin Quint. And if you go and look up and Google him, you will see in Michigan particularly, there were a lot of articles about the outrage that the community had in regards to the 
the sentence as it relates to this particular individual. So he was sentenced to 255 days of incarceration, basically, and 24 months of probation. And he still had access to and was to have the ability to have his parental rights. The prosecution appealed two things. One, they appealed the fact that the sentence itself, 255 days, they felt that that was entirely too light. And they also appealed the decision in regards to the child, particularly Mr. Quint having parental rights to the child, right? And so the prosecution wanted his parental rights terminated, right? You would agree with me there? Yes. All right. So that went up to the Court of Appeals for Michigan Court of Appeals. There was a decision that was rendered. I think it was on October the 22nd, 2022, that the Court of Appeals rendered its decision. And for those of you who've never looked at, understood kind of what what a court of appeals, uh, any kind of court decision looks like, I think it might be helpful for for me to pull that up for you all to see. But in addition to that, I also think that it's important for you all to see or hear kind of what happens at or argument, right? So typically of a court of appeals, you appeal something to the court of appeals it gives you some court of appeals give you automatic right to an oral argument. Some don't. Some do calendar, a summary calendar type of thing, which basically means, look, you all wrote your briefs. We have them. We don't think oral argu argument is necessary. We're just going to decide it on what was written to us. And then in this particular case, there was actually an oral argument. And so what I want to do is show you a little bit of this process. Okay. So take a look and take a listen as we go here. Interest argument on the CAQ matter. I want to bring this court's attention to one of the exhibits admitted at the lower court during the best interest hearing, which would have been exhibit 19, an evaluation done more recent in time to that hearing which was done when the child was about three years old. The injuries that occurred to the child when the child was 10 weeks old, this was done when the child was just a little over three years old. And it was done by a different hospital, St. John's, not Children's, who treated the child originally, and done by a pediatric neurologist at the request of DHS that was admitted. Went over the records, did two evaluations, the most recent on August 26, 2021, and the, the evaluator found, the doctor found, the child is able to walk using a walker, has an improved pincer grasp, is learning to point indicates he's able to vocalize but unable to say words stands independently for about three minutes can get to standing can vocalize syllables and can use sign language he's also has microencephaly left side hemiparatic cerebral palsy left side neglect to some degree left side dystopia for which he wears prismatic sunglasses and undergoes language physical occupational and speech therapy the doctor went through all the history of Children's Hospital and concluded with, based on the history, the past, and the present examination, it is likely the CAQ will continue to have developmental delays, left-sided hemiparesis, and increased risk for seizures. He is, although he will continue to show improvement in the development and all of his findings, he is likely to have permanent deficits in those areas. I want to bring it to this court's attention because when the lower court did the best interest factor i believe the lower court erred because it did not consider the best interest of the child it considered the best interest of the respondent and that's where the error here lies the court focused on what it believed to be bonding with the parent and whether it could say for sure whether the parent would be good or not the ability to parent because he was incarcerated and had a motorcycle accident 
That's not the standard we're using. First, I challenge that there was even a bond. But more specifically, <laughs> if there was a bond, sure, there's the kind of bond any abuser has with their abused, especially one who has severe 50% damage to their brain. What you really have here, though, is similar to Melendez, that the court didn't consider the previous domestic abuse and the abuse here when it's comparing and considering all the factors. It barely gave any reference. And the medical testimony from DeGraw showed that there was not one unit, one injury event that the victim had suffered as evidenced by mixed attenuation of the fluid in the victim's brain and its head circumference. There was more than one. The lower court ignored it, as did the sentencing court in the criminal one when it declined to, 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 to score OV3 and OV7 using the same medical testimony. Everybody just wants to seem to argue that the respondent either didn't do it, questions he didn't, denies responsibility. That goes to the best interest factors for this child because if the respondent can't even accept the responsibility, then he is a danger to this child. All right, so having heard that, first of all, Denise, have you heard this, did you listen to this oral argument before? No, actually, I just read the document. I didn't even know that that, that was there. Now, having heard that, First of all, what is your reaction to that? Or do you have questions about kind of what we, the clip of what we just played? And just for, for, for edification, the individual speaking was representing the interests of the prosecution, right? And when you heard the term respondent, respondent means in this particular instance, the father, okay? Because he's responding to the appeal. All right, go ahead. Just, just for clarification, it was just audio, right? We weren't supposed to be seeing anything. Correct. There's okay. no, there's no video. You know, I, as I, as I was sitting here researching the case, I kept asking myself, what am I missing? Right? Because the answer is so set on his stance on the father did this to the child and even after hearing what you just played, I still stand what I stand. <laughs> Which is? There's not enough evidence. You're not giving me enough. Can I justify the injuries to this baby? I can't, you know, could they be? along the lines of the shaking baby syndrome, possibly. I just do not feel that enough has been given to me for me to believe that, you know, and, and I go back to, to the episode, right? Because some of the thing that he mentions is the bond, the bond that the child had with the father. We did see him go and spend time with the baby after, you know, the charges were brought to him. Did I see a bond? I saw something that man may not consider it a bond, but I did see, you know, the child has developmental delays. It has disabilities. You cannot expect to see a bond of a normal kid with their father of that of a child that has disabilities and is trying to work through those disabilities, you know, with his father. And, and again, I understand and I respect where you stand. I just feel that nothing, not enough has been given to me to mm -hmm. change how I think. Mm -hmm. Even, even I still want to go to the background because the background that is on this court of appeals document was not presented to us 
during the episodes. Right. So we, we, we're going to do that now. And, and what I want to highlight here, and I'm going to show you this document for those of you who are on the screen and can actually see it. Okay. This is the Court of Appeals opinion in this matter, State of Michigan Court of Appeals, people of the State of Michigan versus Holland Coin. Okay. What I think is striking here is that the court opens its opinion as such. It says that basically that this opinion, right, stems from legal proceedings stemming from severe injuries sustained by CAQ. And for those of you who don't know, don't understand why CAQ, because it's a child, it's a minor. Court opinions typically hide the identity of the child. The episode, however, identified that the child's name was Connor. Okay. So CAQ is Connor. CAQ then 10 weeks old that were discovered after CAQ had been left in father's care. Okay. And so some of the facts that uh, that, you, that Denise was talking about, you want to kind of highlight some of those facts that was uncovered in this Court of Appeals opinion? Yes. So the first episode that happens with the baby, which is, you know, when they, because originally something happened with the baby, so they end up taking him to the doctor or to the hospital. And then the hospital does an MRI on the baby and then sends them home, right? Mm -hmm. That's what the episode shows us. But what they don't really go into, give me one moment. Mm -hmm. All right, so this is what I have from our old episode based on my notes, right? So it starts with something is going on with Connor. His eyes are fixated. Colin and Connor were watching TV. Colin ends up calling Lindsay. They in the same house because that day they were all together. They end up taking the baby to the hospital where he's evaluated but sent back home. While the baby was in the hospital, though, all they did was do a chest x-ray. But based on the x-ray, they said he's fine and they sent him home. That's what accused, guilty, or innocent gives us as what happened before the second episode. But right. the background on the Court of Appeal document says, you know, the events leading up to what happened to the baby is the morning on August 1st, they left the baby, Connor, Connor. Connor in Colin's care. Connor had an episode that day during which he appeared to go limp. The father panicked. He called the paternal grandfather for advice. Granted, the baby is limp, so this is happening. Instead, of, I get it. Instead of calling nine one one, he decides to call the grandfather. But the mm -hmm. grandfather then tells him call his primary care doctor. Why? Who knows? Because at this point, if your baby's going limp, you should have been taking that baby to the emergency room, or you should have been calling nine one one. I Red flag number one, but go ahead. <laughs> You're going to kill me, but you may call that red flag number one. But again, not everybody reacts to the situations the same. Go ahead, Denise. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> so the grandfather instructs him to call the primary care doctor. But when he does call the primary care doctor, apparently they were at lunch. So... By the time that he had already called the grandfather, that he had called the doctor's office, the baby appeared to be back to normal. So it was just a short-lived document. So by the time the mother came back home, they were able to get a hold of the baby's doctor who told them take the baby to the hospital and get a head ultrasound. Duh. But they go ahead. took them to the hospital as 
was advised. The baby was diagnosed with breath holding spell. The treating physicians instructed the parents to keep an eye on him. And if he had an episode, they had to blow on his face, turn him on his side, or put a wet wash cloth on his face. After they did the chest x-ray, they realized there was no concern. So they discharged the baby. So they sent the baby back home with the parents. That was not provided to us during accused guilty or innocent. Okay, and, My, that's, and, that, but, and that's why we're doing this update, but go ahead. No, 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 but, but that's what I'm saying. Even with that, right, to me now I feel like, yes, the father could have just taken that baby straight to 911 to figure out what was going on. But I cannot sit here and say everybody should do that because not everybody's going to react the same. I probably would have taken my kid, but at the same time, I probably would have called my mom too. Mommy, this is what's going on. This is, this is what I see on the baby. What should I do? And then waited on my mom to tell me, go to, to the hospital, run to the emergency room. So I feel like because they wasted so much time on getting the baby care, something could have been going on with the baby that could, you know, I don't know. I don't, I just don't know how to to explain okay, it. But, but 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 okay, you always sit and claim when you hear these episodes or look at these things, you're doing it from the perspective of a juror, right? Yes. Jurors don't have to kick out the window common sense, right? When a jury listens to facts, they can keep the common sense in place, right? Because as a juror, you get Are to you decide. Are you trying to say I don't got common sense? No, you get to decide. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're you trying get, to say. You get to decide what credence you give to a fact, right? Yeah. Now, we we're talking about a 10-week baby. At 10 weeks, babies can't talk, right? You most babies are not formulating sentences at 10 weeks. Now, when I was born, I might have been doing it because I'm such a genius, right? <laughs> No, Can babies can't form, babies can't formulate sentences, right? So the thing is, is that the baby is left in Colin's care, right? He is the father and his job is to protect his baby at that particular time because that's why he's left with her, with him, right? The baby goes limp, right? Now, we don't know what that means, but I presume the baby isn't moving, or the baby can't move or struggling or I don't know. If that was not there. presented as a fact, though. It just says the baby went limp. Okay. As a juror, I get to decide what that means, right? So tell me, what does Do. baby go limp mean to you, Denise? So what did you say it means to you? I felt that it means either the baby can't move you can't control the body but it doesn't say seizure so i'm assuming the baby just couldn't move and i don't know if there was any breathing issues associated with that but as a juror if i'm sitting there i'm listening to that fact and i'm going to say okay the baby can't move it's your fucking job to do something why are you not getting the doc the baby to the doctor so that's what i'm saying but now, what does it mean to you? you so limp to me is the baby has some movement, but not all, right? He's, mm -hmm. you know, like a little, I don't know how to say it in English. I guess limp, <laughs> you know, not, not mm -hmm. full control of his body. But he did try, he, okay, 
please, I don't want everybody to think I'm trying to defend this man, you know? Do, do I think he had some responsibility to what happened to the baby? Yes, I think he did, right? But I can't, so your common sense is not the same common sense as mine, right? You have, mm -hmm. is it 12 jurors? Yeah, there's a number, but go so, ahead. And, yeah, and this, is, this is how, you know, sometimes jurors cannot come to a, you know, like a, a an agreement, right? Because everybody thinks differently. To mm -hmm. me, I feel like he didn't do, he didn't try to get the baby help as fast as he should have. But do I feel he tried to get the baby help? He called the grandfather. He called the doctor's office. There are records of that. It's not like there are no records. Obviously, if it's in this document of appeal, it means that it has been confirmed that this happened. You know, they call the doctor. The doctor told them, take the baby to the hospital and have the baby get an, a head ultrasound. Why wasn't this head ultrasound done? Okay. So to be fair, let me correct something. Just because the court of appeal raised it as a fact does not mean that it's confirmed. Okay. okay. It is facts that, that were presented at trial. Right. Mm -hmm. And facts that the trial judge or the jury heard. And so because this is an appeal against the father, there are certain facts that must be held kind of in their favor as the court is reviewing what happened at the lower court. OK, but on August the 1st, one thing that you didn't indicate was that when the mother came home during lunchtime, she was told to take the baby to the hospital, get a head ultrasound. You said that, right? But the baby was also experiencing breath-holding spells, right? And so what breath-holding spells are, why are you shaking your head? That's what he was diagnosed with when he got to the hospital. They didn't know what the baby was experiencing. All the baby was experiencing while he was home was he was he appeared to have gone limp. The father panicked, and that's when they called. No, I mean- okay. It wasn't until the doctor at the hospital saw him that they diagnosed with the breath holding spell. Yeah, but you didn't let me finish because if you would let me finish, you would see what point I was making. But no, go ahead. because you said that when the mom got there, he was experiencing that, and no, he was not. It okay. wasn't until he went to the hospital. Okay, I'm. I, here's what I'm going to say to you, and how I look at the facts. Okay, obviously he was diagnosed with the term breath holding spells because when they communicated to the doctor about what was happening happening obviously they gave him the symptoms associated with it brand breath holding spells and when you look up what breath holding spells is it's to the point where a baby or a child is essentially holding their breath to the point that they're not breathing some can turn blue which would go in line with why the baby is limp because obviously the baby is having difficulty breathing, whether it's, it is based upon the, the child's own actions or some other actions or some injury. The fact of the matter is, is that it appears to suggest that the baby was experiencing that at home before they actually took him to the doctor. So th that's the connection that I'm making with that and the, the official diagnosis is just confirming, in my view, what was occurring at home. Okay. Now, <laughs> now, I get what you're saying in regards to not every parent is the same. And, you know, we're not going to belabor that point. So on that, you don't see that 
you don't see that as being an issue. I sort of think it's problematic. But okay, now go to what happened on August the 2nd, according to the facts that's presented in the Court of Appeals opinion. Do you have that? I do. So while they're back home, the baby on August the 2nd had one or two additional breath holding episodes. So the father blew on his face as he was instructed in the emergency room of the hospital they went to. The baby came alert again, but then uh, the baby was alone with the father. So at that point, mom and the maternal grandmother arrived at the apartment around noon where the mother, the father, and the maternal grandmother started discussing, we're going to have to take the baby to the hospital again for a second opinion because it continues to happen. They didn't do the ultrasound like the family doctor had recommended. So while they were having the conversation of trying to take the baby back to the hospital, the mom realized that the baby's leg was shaking or twitching like they they mentioned in the episode. Mm -hmm. Thinking that he was code, she wrapped them in a swaddle. And Mm -hmm. so while the father and the maternal grandmother, the father and the maternal grandmother were installing the car seat so they could all go together to the hospital. The baby began shaking and convulsing and appeared to be having a seizure. That's mm-hmm. when the grandmother called 911. The baby was taken to the ambulance to a different hospital, not the same hospital that he was taken the day prior. Mm-hmm. At, after the emergency room staff stabilized the baby, he was then transferred to a third hospital for further examination and treatment. All right. And the third hospital is a hospital that's specialized in children. Right. Right. And so what did the third hospital uncover? So still with this second thing, I'm now questioning why wasn't documents presented of what happened in the first hospital? Why weren't documents presented of what happened in the second hospital? Because then at this point, we're just concentrating on what happened in the third. This is me trying to still change my mind as to what happened. I still need these documents to be able to. <laughs> okay, Denise, but I feel like you're expecting more than what reality is in this sense, right? You have gone to many of hospitals, <laughs> right? And particularly. I work for one. Okay, and particularly in emergency room situations, right? You're you're not going to immediately get a diagnosis, right? What they are doing is trying to figure out how can we stop whatever is occurring at that particular point. Oh no, no, I don't mean the hospital from hospital getting the 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 information. What What I mean is here, like this is the case. I want to be able to to get the information from these hospitals as to what communication after this happened, did you guys really get, you know, like, so we went to one hospital. Then we went to a second hospital. Where are all the documents showing everything that occurred? I just don't feel that is what being... documents you want the whole medical file. Heck yeah. Online? Yes, well, I may- sure do. Maybe the court had access to that. I don't know. We don't have access to this. This is the opinion. This is basically after the court reviewed everything that the parties presented, right? That's the briefs. That's the exhibits that comes with the briefs. There may be documentation in here. And I'm also going to play a clip in this <laughs> audio or argument where we are. you're going to hear 
something specific about these docu docu doctors, sorry, that you gave so much credence to on this birth trauma right issue. Okay. And I, if that don't change your mind, I think you just you just stuck on the fact that you don't want to admit that you're wrong. Okay. But that's the thing, though. Why does it have to be okay? Th I guess this is this is where I'm having a hard time. Like, why does it have to be that I'm wrong? Why can you not accept my opinion? You know? Oh, I'm accepting it. No, no, you're not, because here we are having this 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 episode going back to these facts because you want to keep showing the fact that this man was really guilty. He could have been. But at the end of the day, it. I feel like you want me to look at all these things and change my mind. No, and no. no, I think, but I do think it's important to have conversations about updates like these on cases that we talk about, particularly when you have access to additional information that was not presented in the documentary that we saw, right? Because we don't have all of these facts relating to this. And at the end of the day, I am very passionate about this because it is a kid, right? A child, a helpless child involved. In, I, in get, this I get it. Situation. I, I am too. And, 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 and obviously given, well, I'll just leave it there. So anyhow, you definitely you can't can have just your... leave it there because you're basically trying to say that because you see it a certain way, being a child involved, I can't see it the way I see it with a child also being involved. No, I mean, I'm questioning you a little bit, but you know. <laughs> and that's the problem. Like, I could, I could be able to. Again, I'm not saying that this man is a hundred percent innocent. He's no. not innocent at do all. I think. Do I think that he had some issues prior? I do. And do I think that the mom did the best thing in leaving the baby with him by himself caring for this child? No, I don't think she did. I think she knew the best thing for her was not to leave that baby alone, but she still went ahead and did it. I just don't think that enough has been presented to me to determine the, the shaken baby syndrome theory. Do I okay. feel there was something that occurred with the baby and by the father not properly taking care of the baby, it could have, what's the word? Like made the situa situation worse. Exacerbated yes. the situation? Yes. But are you saying that the situation stems from something unrelated to any intentional injury from a person to the child? Correct. All right. So- <clears throat> Let's talk about what the the third hospital, the specialist for children, <laughs> uncovered. <laughs> so that hospital did a head CT scan, and it showed bilateral subdural fluid collection and evidence of an acute subdural hematoma on the right side of the child's brain. A subsequent ophthalmological examination revealed extensive multi-layer retinal hemorrhages including severe vitreous hemorrhages. Then an MRI that was put 12 days after Connor went into the hospital reflected evidence of an acute subdural hematoma and substantial damage to, I can't pronounce this word, is parenchyma, P-A-R-E-N-C-H-Y-M-A. I don't know what that is. All I right. kind of think you said it right the first time, parenchyma. Right. We didn't have access to this when we initially talked about 
the case, but there also was a pre-sentence report, right? And a pre-sentence report is once a defendant is either found guilty or in this case, he he pled no contest, which basically means he's not admit, admitting guilt or or innocent, right? He's not admitting guilt, but he's not going to contest what what's going on, right? The pre-sentence report provided to the judge for the sole purpose of the judge being able to evaluate the case to make a determination what is the best end result. Now that the jury has made a decision, in this case, it wasn't the decision by a jury, it's actually by the judge, right? It was a bench trial. Once the, the judge had made a determination about what occurred, and I want to say it was almost like a forced deal by the judge, in my opinion, between the prosecution and defendants for them to come to some agreement so that they won't have to go to trial on the merits, right? That agreement led to the judge having to then determine what sentence to give this individual. The pre-sentence report, according to the Court of Appeals document, indicated that there was cervical ligament damage, shoulder ligament damage, retina hemorrhage, brain hemorrhage, and physical brain damage. The attendant physician at the Children's Hospital determined that the little boy's injuries were non-accidental and consistent with signs of child abuse, possibly in the form of shaken baby syndrome. The emergency room physician who saw him initially indicated that the baby had to be intubated before being placed at a pediatric intensive care. All right. So that information was provided to the judge so that he could then make a determination about what sentence was best provided. Now, we have we, of course, have all these individuals saying, look, this is definitely not an accident. This is definitely the actions of some kind of abuse. And whether you want to call it shaking baby syndrome, I'm not getting hung up on what they are diagnosing it as, right? Because that's not an element of the charge, right? Child abuse is child abuse. Whatever the medical folks diagnose it as, is, I don't give a shit about that, right? What I do hear in these facts or what I've read in these facts is that the experts did not think that this was the result of anything other than abuse. Okay. Now, I know that you talked a lot last time about this birth trauma crap, right? And you still don't think necessarily that this is a result of physical abuse. And so I do think it would be beneficial to kind of hear a piece of the oral argument as it relates to the the doctors who raised his birth trauma is that okay sure this is your podcast sir okay and also so that i'm not seen as being unfair <laughs> in my assessment i want to also at least let you hear some of the portion as it relates to his side his side ben what's this man named colin the abuser <laughs> All right, let's get there. When the prosecution argued that there's no question about this and they know what the injuries were caused from, that's totally incorrect. Dr. DeGraw, who is the only child abuse physician in this matter for the prosecution, testified clearly that he did not know what the mechanism was. 
he didn't know who, when, why, where, and how. And in fact, when I asked him about the shaken baby aspect, he testified clearly that he never suggested shaking was involved in this case. And he was confronted with the fact that, according to Dr. Scheller, who, who reduced the medical records down, on 525, the child had a head circumference of 35.6 uh, centimeters. On 6-1, it was 43%. On 726, less than two months later, it had risen to 83%. If the prosecution, if their expert can't say what the mechanism is, how can they now come forward and say, say what, what it is? The bottom line is there was something going on in this child's head. Right. Our expert said. Right. We understand a, that uh, there was conflicting expert right. testimony presented below. Okay. So we're only talking about the, the, the termination case at this point. Judge Swatowski, who heard all of the testimony and has been involved in this case and, in fact, is still involved with it. It's over four years old now. Uh, and for the prosecution to continue there, to still contend there's no bonding is nothing short of outrageous. My client has seen that child on every appointed visit since day one, went to every medical, every PT, every OT, uh, every appointment he could, not missed one time in over four years now. He had five days a week for the first two and a half years. Okay, so just so for point of clarity here, what's going on is this. There's two moving parts to this particular case, Court of Appeals. One is the sentencing as it relates to the child abuse issue, right? The criminal aspect. The other piece is the best interest of the child, which relates to the termination of parental rights. Okay. And so there, there's, there are two different moving aspects of that, which is, <laughs> which is why you hear them talking about the best interest and him being, him being the respondent, Colin, going to see the baby and visiting with the babies and things of that nature. Okay. So just so that there's clarity. All right. Let me add this other piece. Now I saw before we move on and add this other piece in regards to the doctors who I wanted you to hear some of the information relating to that. You were shaking your head a lot during the play of that particular audio and why, what, what resonated with you when you the heard The head that? situation, you know, I saw in, in the documents that the baby, you know, this is prior to the incident that brought everyone to where they were that day. There was, you know, his head six, whatever the man said. It was right. It's above the percentile of kids his age. Mm -hmm. Again, they they mentioned when she was giving birth, she was in extended labor. You know, they mentioned there was some problems during her birth. So to me, that is I kept shaking my head because why wasn't that possibility explored further? Plus, you heard them, you heard the lady said, yes, there was conflicting or whatever she said about what the doctor yes. from, from mm -hmm. the prosecution said that they can't, that they really never said it was shaken baby syndrome. 
Right. But I think what the court, the reason the court basically said that is they said basically in so many terms, we don't want to hear this shit. We already read it. Right. We know that you don't agree with what the prosecution brought. And we know that the prosecution doesn't agree with your evidence. I don't think she was basically, that's why she said that she wanted him to move on to more critical issues that the court need to hear so that they can make a determination. But to your point, you're right. It's clear that there was conflicting evidence, but I mean, you keep going to this shaken baby syndrome. I, I don't think the court is grappling with whether it's shaken baby syndrome. I think the court is looking at is there was there abuse, not kind of like, you know, was there abuse or is this a result of some other natural cause? Go ahead. But that's that's the accusation. The accusation is shaken baby syndrome, abusive head trauma. And he's being charged with first degree child abuse. But throughout the entire episode of accused guilty or innocent, the accusation is shaken baby syndrome, abusive head trauma. This is why I keep going back to it. Do Again, do I think that something could have been going on with the baby? Do I think there was neglect from the father while the, babe, while the baby was under the father's care? Yes. What I cannot wrap my head around is the shaken baby syndrome. I hear you. I think what I hear you say is that you want, you want true connection as to what cause, what is it? If you're going to say it's shake your baby syndrome, you want the medical evidence to support that, right? You got it. That's it. Okay. Finally. <laughs> All right. But, and, and, you know, oftentimes jurors want stuff that's just, you're not going to get, right? We heard in the episode that there, there's medical doctors to this day dispute whether there is an existence of shaken baby syndrome or not right the term and all of that and the signs and say you know things of that nature right for me again i, I think i've said this and i'm going to say it again i don't give a shit what you call it right explain to me why these injuries which seems to be injuries associated with some action from some force from something is on this t up you know with this 10 week old baby that is causing the baby to have a debilitating life as we heard talked about her some of the facts when we listened to the first portion of the audio to this day barely being able to communicate barely being able to walk barely being able to go and potty train i think there is some testimony or evidence that was in the court of appeals opinion that talked about the grandmother saying that the baby is trying to crawl in order to go and and potty train right explain to me why that baby is having this experience right and as i stated before if it really was something why didn't the parents do more to try to figure out what the result was because we don't have any evidence of that what we have evidence of is someone who's been charged with a crime and so they're trying to come up with a defense. But what we didn't hear, right, is any evidence that the mom did anything to try to figure out what is attributing to cause her child to do this. Now, granted, to be fair, I don't think the episode intended to do that, right? But we definitely don't hear that. And as a juror, 
I think I'm questioning that more so. Why aren't you doing more to figure out what the fuck is going on with your child, especially if you're saying that it's attributed to some kind of natural causation? Does that make sense? What I'm trying to get at, which is why this case bothers me so much. But go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I could I could see it from your point if you're bringing it now. If we are deliberating now and you're bringing that to me, I could say, yeah, you know, a lot more could have been done, you know, that I feel was not done. Again, I, I question her leave a child with him to begin with because I feel that he was not the best person for her, but I understand circumstances could have led her to do that, right? She may have, she may have needed to go to work. There's no one to leave the baby with, so she has no option but to leave the baby with him. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think with this case, we, we're going to agree to disagree. <laughs> right. All right. So let's hear this portion, and then we'll move on. I'm Karen Russell, and I'm the LGAL okay. on the termination matter. And I believed, Your Honor, that the causation of this injury has been decided and has not been appropriately appealed before this court, and that the record is that the father injured this child. And the father continues to deny that he did so. This is a severely injured child. It was, we had a full both adjudication and termination hearing when all of these arguments were presented and the court found that the father, by clear and convincing evidence, injured this child. On several statutory grounds. My position is the only issue before you is the best interest of the child. That's what this appeal is about. So I want to pause. Do you understand what she's saying there? Who is she? She's like the the guardian at litem that was at the termination. So they they are the individuals who advocate for the child because the child is a minor. They can't advocate for themselves. So they sort of represent the interests of the child. They're legal lawyers who represent the child's interests. Okay. Okay. But did you understand what she was saying? Yeah. What what was she said to this? Because <laughs> I mean, she's not giving me anything. All right, yes, she is. I think what she raised is very important. Okay, what she says is this: Notice, this is an appeal, right? What was not appealed was Colin didn't appeal the determination by the court that he abused a child. Okay, he's not appealing that. So that. It's already decided, right? And he isn't coming forth to say, I'm being wrongly charged with this. I was forced into this agreement, anything. He's basically not doing any of that. What he is arguing or what he is only doing at this point is trying to continue to have that weak ass sentence that the judge gave him. Okay. So what she is saying is he's already convicted of child abuse. There's no arguments about whether or not he abused the child because he did not appeal that decision, right? And so that's kind of why she is saying to the court, what you need to be focusing on is A, the sentencing 
right? Should it be longer sentencing? And B, whether or not he should have any rights to this child, whether he gets out of court, I mean, get out of prison or not. Do you know what I mean? Do you understand that portion? Yeah. I mean, I get, I get it. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> out that everyone wants to go back to causation. The record is that the judge considered the best interest and surprisingly found that it was not in the child's best interest. There's a number of things here, Your Honor. The judge, the judge did not consider the safety of the child at all in his opinion. Not at all. He, he, he kind of briefly said, well, I guess it could happen in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I guess that could happen. But safety is the paramount issue before this court. And, and what our case law is telling us, the predictors for foreseeable harm, we know he, we had the child severely injured by the father, and the, the factors for foreseeable harm is the severity of the injury and the inability for the parent to acknowledge that he did so. Those are the two factors. They were laid out well in the Mendendez case, I believe it was, of which Judge Savito was part of. I also want to add to you my real concern over and above the father. His rights should be terminated. I have concern about the extended family, the mother who also denies that the kid was injured, the, the grandparents, everyone is saying that unless the father's rights are terminated, this child is going to be returned with the father and that no one believed he did it. They, they bought the arguments of two doctors that I think this is you your part. know have been under criticism repeatedly, and, and they still buy into it. They still exonerate the father. So I also have concerns that unless we terminate, and indeed some kind of restrictions is put on for the father not to see this child again, we're going to have a repeated injury to this child. The foreseeable risk to this child is real, Your Honor. Everyone is denying, as the attorneys did, that the father even did it. All right. <clears throat> so basically, she's saying those two doctors that you liked a lot has been criticized throughout and still under heavy criticism for some of their medical opinions and cases and things of that nature. All right. So the prosecutor in the case and the judge. <laughs> so... <laughs> you're saying is the doctors that that were bringing the birth trauma are being criticized because of whatever whatever what is it that you said for the the theories that they present in on cases. their cases what i'm telling you is lucido which was the prosecutor was also being criticized by, by people after the case so was the judge your point Everybody is going to criticize everybody. Everybody's going to have an opinion when it comes to this. The, the, these doctors are being criticized because of their theories. Lucido was being criticized for allowing Quint to plead guilty to the lesser charge of second degree child abuse. Yes, yes. 
the judge was being criticized and is continued to being criticized because all his cases, he severe cases of a lot of abuse, he gives these people the lesser time. Everybody's going to be criticized. You criticize me because of my opinion on this case. And I'm criticizing you because you want me to see the case the way you see the case the case we all criticize each other I mean, all right got it all right so with respect to this the court of appeals determined that the trial judge determination that they that that there were undoubtedly serious injuries to the child but not life-threatening and whether or not the child's injuries were going to be permanent was an an error Right. Because in the way that they do the sentences, they have to assign scores based upon certain factors. And the prosecutor's office is basically saying, look, you should have assessed 25 points here, not the 10 points that you gave. All right. And so the court of appeals said, yeah, duh. Yes, it should have been fucking 25 points awarded, not the 10 points. And then also with respect to this, the trial court did not add any of points for the physical abuse. Right. And the the scoring, the 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 the, the court of appeals says that the evidence that the trial court ruled that the evidence did not meet the extremely high bar necessary for a 50 point score. But the court of appeals said, nah, bruh, it should have been 50 points. Right. OK, so ultimately, the court of appeals determined that the sentence that this individual received was too lenient. And what did the. And, and sent that back to the trial court, right? So for those of you who don't know anything about the, proce the process, the Court of Appeals is not going to award or make the sentence, assign the new sentence. They will remand it back to a lower court so that the lower court can look at its opinion, fix the, its errors in its analysis, and resentence the the individual. And that actually occurred. We don't have the opinion from the trial court after it was remanded. But what was the new sentence, Denise? So he got resentenced to 20, 21 months to 10 years in prison. So that was on that first point. Remember, I said there's right. two moving issues, the sentencing and then the best interest. Then the court of appeals. Um, so wait, before we go to the second point. So yep. so tw when they say that, that always confuses me. 20, 21 months to 10 years in prison. What is the actual sentence? Minimally, he's going to be there for 21 months and then he can be there up until 10 years. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. All right. now, and he doesn't get the benefit of doing any kind of hard labor to reduce the sentence. So remember on the first one in his sentence, the little weak ass sentence that he received, he was able to do like some boot camp and the little eight months could have been reduced even further. Okay. Now let's go to the second point. So under Michigan law, termination of parental rights can only occur if the court finds that there are grounds for termination of parental rights and the termination of parental rights is in the child's best interest. The whole arguments that you were hearing from the audio that we played, the individuals who were representing the interests of the prosecution and the interests of the child was basically saying, look, the lower court effed up. Lower court did not concern itself about what was best about the child. He concerned himself more about what was best in the interest of Colin, the father. Right. Court of Appeals did decide that, you know, based upon the information presented, there appeared to be some bond between the father and the child. So they did not remove that. Right. 
But what they also indicate is that, you know, because having a bond is beneficial to the parent because that is something that's an important aspect of child rearing. And so you want a child that has a bond with their parent to remain with the parent, right? So that's a benefit or a plus for Colin in this particular case. But then the court reasoned that despite the bond, termination can still be appropriate if there's evidence of some kind of extreme physical abuse, right? And some of the things that the court weighed and 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 put against Colin was the fact, and I talked about this but on the first episode, but you didn't seem to think it mattered. Uh, <laughs> was A, that the parents could not explain any of the child's injuries. They had no explanation about what was going on with their child. Secondly, um, the they said that the father was ambivalent to the harm. And what the court said, it cannot be ignored that the child is still a young child, made even more vulnerable than before due to the injuries inflicted upon him by the father. And it says, incredibly, father testified that he did not believe that the child had any special needs, despite the numerous medical records, testimony, and services provided to the child, clearly establishing the contrary. So despite the fact that we saw, obviously, I mean, come on, you can't deny this one, Denise. We saw when he went to go visit the child on the episode, the child has some special needs. I mean, based on the injuries the baby has, we know the baby has developmental delays. We know the baby has, you know, trauma, severe trauma. I mean. But don't you think it's odd that the father is saying, no, he doesn't? I mean, don't you think that's stupid? When you have, you go, you see all this? Again, it goes back to, I don't think this man to begin with, even before the situation happened was on his right mind. So you were talking you, you want him to still with, be with the baby though. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I, I have I did. have never I have never said that. But what I'm saying is that let's go back to his accident. He he was intoxicated, right? So when he got into the motor you talking about the motorcycle? The, yeah the motorcycle accident. Okay, but Denise, when we heard that Right. Mm -hmm. We thought that all of that happened before the issue with the child. But when you read the opinion, that's not accurate. His accident occurred in the mix of the proceedings, which means that the injury to the child had already occurred. I know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it, what I'm trying to get to is this man had issues way before this accident happened to the baby. Could be alcoholism issues, could be psychological issues. This man had issues, which is why I question why the mother even would have wanted to leave this baby alone with him. But I can understand her circumstances. We don't know what her circumstances were. Do I believe that he contributed because he's he could be going through things? Yes, I think this man had issues. But what does that before. mean? What does that mean? The um, because, mean like I'm in the in the uh, principal's office. All right. So, Denise, <laughs> you can't deny that this child has special needs because we saw in the episode clearly the child has special needs. Yes. And do you not find that it's odd that this parent, this father, who a has already been found guilty of physical abuse, so he's not contesting that he 
that, you know, the sentence as it, I mean, the charge as it relates to that. He's already been found guilty of physical abuse. But now, according to this court of appeals opinion, he's denying even the fact that his child has developmental issues and special needs and need all this medical care, despite sitting through testimony that clearly showed the opposite of that. Despite receiving medical documentation during the trial, both at the uh, hearing for the criminal aspect as well as parental rights, that there's a host of medical issues with this individual, that the child, despite having all this information, he still says his child doesn't have special needs. You don't find that troubling? I do. I mean, I do. I found it troubling to begin with that that the mom would even leave the baby with him. You know, I I don't know. You know, but if you find it troubling that the mom would leave the baby with him, why is it such a disconnect that you find it impossible that he harmed the baby? It, that's the problem. I do. I think we we established this earlier in in the episode. It's not that I don't think he. Cost. Okay, let, let me let me say this because if you're not understanding me, I'm pretty sure there's going to be plenty of people listening to these episodes not understanding me either. I don't necessarily stand with. By the way, the, this shirt is beautiful. This gray on gray on gray on gray. But go ahead. I don't necessarily stand with this man. Never touched this baby. Never harmed this baby. That's not where I'm at. Where I'm at is. Do I believe that this man contributed to the baby, you know, to, to, do I feel the baby already had developmental disabilities that were unseen, that were not, yeah, what's the word? The doctors had not said. Diagnosed. I, I think so. I think that something happened in birth that caused some, some issues with this baby that were unnoticed until he started having these issues. Okay, Do stop I there. I can agree with that point. Okay, now go ahead to another point. Do I think that because she can, she can, they don't necessarily say that she continued to leave this child with Connor, but the assumption is that the father was the one taking care of the baby by himself while she was at work. Do I think that he did not properly take care of the baby while the baby was with him? and that he was doing other things and not paying attention to this baby, I do. I think okay. that... But what does that mean? Like he's just doing other stuff, smoking weed or drinking beer? Drinking, or drinking. and doing other things. Yeah, I don't think and his so mind was right. Wh wh where are the injuries coming from, from the child then? Not taking care of the baby. You don't know if the baby turned around and he didn't take, pay attention to the baby. The baby hit himself in the with the wall on the bed. I don't think he was probably taking properly taking care of this child. I think that he was just more the baby cried his heart out. He didn't do nothing for this baby. You know, that's what I think. But I don't necessarily Let me ask this question straightforward cuz you I feel like you're going around circles and around the moon and back. Do you think the man hit the baby? Let me just ask the question that way. I don't think the man shook this baby with force. That's not my question. That's not my question. <laughs> I don't care about the shaking baby syndrome bullshit. Do you think this man physically assaulted, hit the baby? Oh my God, I'm going to get so much hate for this. No. 
Okay, that's fine. I don't that's your think opinion. so because I in my head, if the first time they took this baby to the hospital, there would have been some type of physical indication that this baby was being armed. Bruises, old bruises, maybe the the green type of bruises. There would have been some type of bruises on this baby's body that he was being physically abused. All right. Now, I got that. I I totally disagree with that. And we we never going to see eye to eye on that point. And that's fine. All right. <clears throat> I'm the so court, glad you finally understand that. The court also indicated. Now, here's going to the motorcycle accident. Now, I would tell you that when I heard about the motorcycle accident on the cues, guilty or innocent, I understood that the motorcycle accident happened prior to any issue with the baby, which for me, because remember, on the first episode, I kept telling you, go listen to the 911 call. The man wasn't in his right state of mind because you ain't listened to it. And I told you I found them guilty off of the the audio. Okay. Now, you did go back and listen to it, and you agreed that he seemed kind of out of it on that phone call. like Which is why I think he had issues. All right. So... I say all this to say is that I believe that my viewing of the episode, the episode dealing with Colin, that he has some cognitive difficulties, right? Okay. And I thought, based upon the way that it was presented with the motorcycle, was that the trauma associated with the motorcycle accident caused the cognitive issues. Okay. However, it did not make, I was not clear on the, the timing of the accident until I read this opinion. And the accident occurred after the initial issues with Colin was discovered, right? It was during the course of the proceedings that the motorcycle accident occurred. And what the Court of Appeals said is, during the course of the proceedings, father was in a serious accident while under the influence of alcohol and illegal drugs and suffered a traumatic brain injury as a result. But here's what the court said. But while the accident is concerning by itself, even more concerning is the fact that the father did not disclose to either his examining psychologist or psychiatrist that he was highly intoxicated when the accident occurred. So not only was he on drugs, some kind of illegal drugs, so it had to be meth, crack, cocaine, something. Okay, I don't think it was weed, but it could have been weed because I guess it's illegal in Michigan. But I don't think that's no, what I it don't was. think it was weed either. And alcohol. And so, I mean, you know, if someone is high and drunk on a motorcycle, they could have been high and drunk while they was watching the baby. The baby could have been crying. And so, therefore, he got pissed because you let you fucking up my high. And he could have did something with the baby. Right? He could have shook I, the baby. He could have shook the baby and said, shut the fuck up. Why are you screaming? Yes. But I see it. I see it up to the point of you interrupting my one that... I see it as he was intoxicated. He was on drugs. The baby is crying his heart out. This man is ignoring this baby. This baby is probably choking on his own cry, trying to turn around, trying to move around. You know, who knows where they had this baby. I've known of situations where they left the baby on the bed close to the, to the wall and the baby ha has moved and hit himself with the, with the wall. So Again, I think that, yes, before the accident and whatnot, he probably was taking care of this baby intoxicated and under the influence of drugs. 
which but but you still but you still don't think that you still don't think that he physically touched his baby to cause some of the injuries i i need (laughs) i i just none of the facts have i don't know i cannot say none of the facts because the baby has severe injuries and they are very serious injuries I guess I'm stuck with the shaken baby syndrome. I think that's what it is. I think that yeah. if they did not, I think that if they had not introduced the concept of shaken baby injuries, that you would have thought something happened. I to, agree. Had they left child about. abuse, I would, I would say this man, let's put this man, he, that 21 to 10 years is too low. He should have gotten way more. All right. And at the end of the day, the court of appeals basically said, bruh, you can't see the baby ever again. So they terminated his parental rights to the child. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 74. This one was a lengthy one, a case we visited, Colin Quint, abusive father case. I wanted to do this because I, you know, we talk about these cases a lot. And I do think, you know, when there are updates and things of that nature, it's important to talk about them. And this case for me was kind of controversial internally within the our the podcast because we totally disagree with this and i think we were kind of screaming at each other at the no, episode. no 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 we and, you and you know it was good to i think it was good to like go through the opinion read it see it from a different from the perspective of the legal perspective and actually you know hearing some of the oral arguments for those who listen to it it's good to hear these different things so you can kind of hear some of the different points and perspectives as it relates because the law isn't always in tune with what we think people's behavior should be or what a result should be right because there are certain elements and certain procedures that must take place and it's important to be able to navigate through those and have some some discussions about that what do you think how do you think like doing this kind of revisited aspect of these. I like that. I like the audio too. I think that the audio was, it gave me more insight than just reading the entire document. I was reading that document and they kept bringing up different cases, trying to, you know, bring those together to the case. And I'm, I kept skipping that. I'm like, I don't care about none of that. So I think the audio helped a little. It's not that I didn't care. It's just that it's for somebody that doesn't have, that doesn't know a lot about, you know, Court of Appeals or documents like that. It was like, what? You know, just give me what I need. So the audio really, really, really helped. But I, I, I like this going back to, you know, episodes if we have updated information. I still think we need to do Angel's Bumpass. Yeah, we are. That's the next one. That's going to be episode 75 because that's a good update. All right. So while we are doing that, make sure that you contact us on our different social media platforms. We are on Facebook at Peeps Creek Cafe. We are on IG, Twitter, and Twitch at Peeps Creek. YouTube, of course. You can watch the videos there at Peeps Creek Podcast. You can watch our videos and see the transcription as you saw today in this video, how I pulled up from our website video, our videos and transcription at www.peepscreek.com. If you have comments that you want to provide to us, feedback, or you want to be on the show, you want to suggest topics, you can send us an email at cafe at peepscreek.com. Again, 
I'm not bagging, but I might as well use this fancy thing. Again, if you want to be so kind as to support us in some kind of form, shape, or fashion, go ahead and buy a brother a, a latte. You can hit this QR code right there or hit the link in the episode's subject. And if you want to buy Denise some tea or something, you can do that right there using that qr code or using the link that's in the description podcast leave a review shout us out send us to your friends all right again denise thank you for being here anything you want to say to the people before we depart you're welcome beggars can be choosers but i don't drink tea so coffee please thank you and it's been my pleasure okay (laughs) all right and, and and of course here at the cafe is always great being behind this mic and have a conversation and hopefully very soon you will see Denise in the studio because I redid the backdrop background I think these are my final updates I'm very satisfied with how the studio is looking and so hopefully she'll be back up so that she can record behind the new backdrop so she can get behind that little plain black white wall because last episode you had the little green what happened to that so you must have given me mal de ojo i don't know how you say that in english like what jinx or something or yes like jinx, jinx yeah like you must have jinxed me because right after it fell <laughs> and i said you know what whatever grew it yeah. But I think we we probably should be soon. I still have those train tickets that I need to redeem before they All expire. Right. All right. So until next time, make sure that you continue to do what? Boom, boom, boom. Drink, listen, and converse. And peace and love.